The scripture reading for today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Fred. Boy, I've been eating too much. <laughs> Gout, kidney stones, <laughs> you name it, I've had it. <laughs> oh, but hallelujah. We'll, we'll get the, what is it, black-eyed peas and uh, hog jaw. Hog jaw's good for you, isn't it? You like hog jaw? I was raised on that stuff. You know, I guess it's the jaw of the hog or what. You know, a lot of people say jowl. I'm not even saying jowl, uh, you know. Well, other than that, David, thank you, that, that I'm going to say hog jaw, you know, and cornbread and, and all that stuff. You ever been lost, separated from your, I don't mean lost spiritually, of course you were lost spiritually, but, but I mean from your parents or something. We were, my buddy Robbie and I, we were uh, Jackie and Herschel, let me, I'll, I'll make this clear for you, Jackie and Herschel, that was Robbie's mother and daddy. And Robbie, there's one day difference in our age, he was about this, he's about Tommy's size, um, height. And anyway, we went to St. Louis to a ball game, baseball game. And back in, I hate when folks say back in the day, but back in the day, and this had to be 1963, 1964. We were like 10 years old. You could take your baseball down to the after the, the ball game was over with. And, they, and they'd sign it. Any of y'all remember, y'all not that old, that, uh, how, that they, how that they would do that. Now you can't even go watch them take batting practice. Do you know that? They wouldn't let you into the stadium while they're taking batting practice. But anyway, Robbie and I, Herschel and Jackie, said, you guys can go down there and get your baseball signed. So we do. We, we go down there and there's playing the Giants, the Willie McCovey days and Willie Mays and... Back in those days, Bob Gibson, Tim McCarver, Mike Shannon, Bob Skinner. 
and all them was on the Cardinals team. Well, anyway, we was getting our baseball signed. So when we got through, we went to the car. We went to the car. And I thought about this, and I have pondered these things. And I have no idea how we knew where the car was. It had to be Robbie. He, he must have known where, where we parked because we went to the car and we just sat down there on, on the, the pavement, you know, just, hey, 10-year-old kids. Herschel and Jackie get to looking for us. We are nowhere. Stadium, for the most part, you know, it's, it's empty. And they're, they're looking for us. Well, anyway, anyway, when we, they, they had security, they had police, they had everybody looking for us. And Herschel decided to come to the car. Robbie's daddy. When he come to the car, he said, you dirty little. <laughs> he said, you have scared us to death. We didn't think anything about it. He said, <laughs> before he died, of course, Robbie died years ago, my buddy, but Herschel died, and we talked about that story before he died. He said, y'all just sitting there on the, on the pavement, just, you know, no, no big deal. Imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt going a day's journey, not, not noticing that the boy Jesus wasn't with them, and then searching for three days. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your church. Thank you, dear God, for these, your people. We pray as we open and study your word that the words of my mouth may be pleasing and acceptable to you. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What are you searching for? As we begin this, this new year, what is it in your life that, that you're searching for? What is it that, that, that needs to be filled in your life for you to truly become that person that, that God has called you to be? What is it that you're searching for that will cause you to go beyond anything that you ever dreamed that you could be and to be in that person that can share the gospel, that, that, that can lift up others, that does not have to be in the limelight, does not have to have our way, but instead thinks more of others, as the Apostle Paul says, think more of others than we do ourselves. What is it this morning? As, as we go into 2019, and by the way, do y'all make New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Anybody? Not for the most part. Why don't you do that? I know why you don't. I know why I don't. Because in 30 minutes, I, I, it already be broken what I would resolve to do. But anyway, anyway, I, I thought about this in, in starting this new year. What is it that this local congregation of the United Methodist Church here in Heber Springs, what is it that we're searching for? Are we searching for the least, the last, and the lost? Are we searching for the Christ child? Are we allowing God to lead us in everything that we do here? What are we searching for? Jesus, we think, died probably at the age of 33, and 30 of those years was spent in a, a village in Nazareth. He had his roots in Judaism, a, a child from a devout home, a child of the synagogue. 
in Nazareth. His parents were conscientious about their religious obligations. Religious obligations. And I know that that rubs a lot of people the, the wrong way. But they were mindful of the traditions of their people. Mary and Joseph understood the importance of being in God's house and raising their children in the faith. Let me say this. If Charlize and I wanted Tommy to know who Jesus Christ was, about God's grace, uh, about the power of the Holy Spirit, where did that have to start at as, as he was a little kid? Where did that have to start at? At home. He had to see it. He had to see it being played out for his mom and dad reading scriptures, for us praying with, for us setting that example for him. It's the way the, the Jewish people were. They knew that being around God's people would give their children the best opportunity to understand God's love. They, Mary and Joseph knew this, but let me tell you something else, friends. They had a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old son that understood it too. In Luke 2, verses 41 to 52, we find a childhood experience of Jesus. The home and the temple were formative institutions in the development of Jesus. At every point, the law of Moses, think about it. The law of Moses, circumcision, check. Jesus was circumcised. The presentation, well, the purification of Mary, check. It's there. The presentation, as David explained to our kiddos this morning in the second service, was kept. And in here, the Passover, there, was, there were three feasts. There were three feasts that, that Jewish men were to keep. And this was one of them, this Passover. This family knew that being in God's house was a priority. This is the way they lived their lives. No excuses. They simply wanted to be and the house of God to worship. It all began for Jesus as it did for many of you here. Well, and maybe it's your baptism as an infant, or when you were maybe baptized later on as an adult, as I was at 29, that, that knew the importance of being in God's house. So was keeping the Passover feast. Why well, it was so important for the parents of Jesus that they went to Jerusalem every year. They had explained this to Jesus and how that... You see, parents taught their children. They were reminded of this special occasion that Passover was, and it meant to a people who had, been, who had been in bondage, had been in bondage, and God's mighty acts of deliverance. They taught that. This is good news. Jesus was now 12 years old, and after the week was over, folks were going back home, going back to their lifestyle that they had, resumed their daily work. Everyone went home except who? Jesus. Wouldn't you know it? Jesus. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents, Mary and Joseph, they thought that he was with a company of others that they were traveling with for that day. Again, look at the example of the community of faith. They weren't panicked when they didn't see Jesus all day long. They were around people of faith they entrusted their kid to. They, they just thought that he was, he was with them. Like you and I do with the church today. Let me tell you, growing up, Tommy was, Tommy was absolutely convinced 
that I didn't have to catch him, and Charlize didn't have to catch him. If someone in the church saw him doing something that he wasn't supposed to do, I'm talking about the church. I didn't want the world beating on him, but I didn't care if the church did. Y'all know what I'm saying? Hey, he was convinced of that. that it, Bill, if, if you saw him doing something wrong, you could jerk him up by the collar. Thank you. Good word. <laughs> jerk him up by the collar. And, 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 it, and it was going to be perfect, not only with me, but, but with his mama. He knew that. He knew that. They weren't overly concerned about where Jesus was at. This passage of Scripture before us, we can read it and we can think, well, Jesus wandered too far away and got a good chewing out. That is true. A surface reading of this text, you could say, well, Jesus may have been a disobedient child or whatever. And his mother said, in essence, listen to this, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. In which Jesus replied, why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? From the tranquility of the stable, Mary and Joseph are confronted with a pre-adolescent child who made perplexing statements that they did not understand. Freddie Lou just read the scriptures to us. They didn't get it. They, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them. So what does it mean for us today? About to enter 2019. Can y'all believe that? 2019. Or is it 2019? Does it matter? It's got a 2 and a 0 and a 1 and a 9. Call it whatever you want to. So what does it mean for us to be in God's house? Jesus in time would give us an example of what it meant. Jesus would not give us a prescription. He would give us an example. An example. To be in God's house meant living by the calendar and not by the clock. The life of Jesus would invite us to live our, our lives in keeping our eyes firmly fixed on what God has called us to do instead of coming to church to be entertained. He called us to live by the calendar of faith rather than the clock of the world. Jesus invited us to live on the importance of people instead of possessions. On people instead of possessions. Maybe when we put as much energy in loving and caring for people as we do on what we have materially, maybe maybe, that someone else's life will be changed. But as God's people, as the church, we might begin what it means and how important it is for us to be in our Father's house. It's when we're in our Father's house that lives are changed and nurtured in Christian love. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. Even at the ripe old age of 12, at 12, he knew this. The good news. Christians, we have, we have made this entry into this sacred community. We talk about and we think about and we experience this new birth and how important it is for us to teach 
the immediate result of this teaching is commitment. Commitment to this continuous struggle that we have to live a holy life. You and I are called to not be holier than thou, but to live a holy life. One of the ways that we begin to do this is by being in worship, being in God's house, and allowing God to be our God instead of the world being our God. And the result of this process is called Christian maturity. You and I call it, Wesley called it sanctification. We know that we're not yet whole in perfect love. We understand that. But we can experience what God is making it possible for each and every one of us to be a part of his kingdom as we go about living our lives right here, right now. Too often, I'm afraid, we get too far from the source that gives us life, that fuels our spirit, that revives our soul. We wander, W-A-N-D-E-R, and forget. Too often we take shortcuts and make every excuse in the world for not being in God's house. And the good Lord knows all of us have done that. But yet, here you are, last Sunday of 2018, in God's house. To remember what's important, to rediscover the lines that we drew for ourselves in the past. I read a story about a, about a man who painted lines in the middle of the road in the days when they had to do it by hand. That'd be a job, wouldn't it? He was entered into a contest. The first day he painted five miles of line, which, by the way, was a new world's record. The next day he painted 500 feet. The next day, 27 feet. Someone asked, why? The painter replied, I get farther and farther away from the bucket. We wander too far from the very source that gives us life and fuels our very being. We wander too far from the things that are most important. Friends, the good news is we don't have to live our lives like that. We don't have to let the world dictate the time that we spend in the presence of God. We don't have to allow the world to become our God. Because if we do... Because if we do, we're like the man getting farther and farther away from the paint bucket. We finally, we finally will dwindle and die spiritually. In the 18th century, there were covenant groups that met on a weekly basis. They met to examine one another on how they were living their lives. They met and they were held accountable for the way they were living their lives. 
They read scripture. They prayed. They gave their money, which was a tithe, by the way. They even told one another who they had visited that week in the infirmaries, you and I would say the hospitals. Or those who were homebound, you and I would say either shut-ins or just not able to get out. And in prisons, you and I would say the jail. They met in these covenant groups. They met so that they would be more equipped, better organized to carry the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. They took care of the widow and the orphan off the offerings, off the tithes that they brought. Schools were started. As a matter of fact, there's where Sunday school came from. They had a fire in their hearts like Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah did for God that they couldn't wait to get together so they could have church. This movement grew. It grew to the point to where there would be hundreds of thousands hear this message that this group and their disciples would bring because they would they'd meet outside in the fields and outside in the workplaces, in the coal mines, wherever the, the people were there in England. This group was called Bible Moths, Holy Rollers, among other things. And finally, they were called Methodists. Finally, they were called Methodists. A people that understood the importance of teaching God's Word not only to their children, not only to their families, but to everyone. No one was excluded. No one. Not telling you it made, did make folks uncomfortable. How would you like to meet once a week and say, let's give an account of your life. What have you been doing? We would pass out and leave. We'd never come back. You know, well, that's personal between me and God. No, it's not. You're the church. You're the church. They were a group of people, committed people to the Lord. And they understood the importance of worship and being in God's house. John Wesley, prophetic words that I'm about to read to you. This was near the end of, of his life. Says this, I am not afraid that people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or in America. He wasn't afraid of that. But I am afraid lest, L-E-S-T, they should only exist as a dead sect. Having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless, unless they hold fast to the doctrine, the spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Many churches, many churches have been started in the past 30, 40 years. And we sit and, and we wonder how these congregations, how they flourish. How that they grow so fast. 
The first thing that they do is this. They have an expectancy for their members to be in church. To be in church. That they will be in their father's house. Why? Why? So children, youth, young adults, middle-aged adults, folks my age, will be taught the Word of God. That they'll know that we serve a God whose grace is greater than our sin. How about that? How about that? Do you think the world needs to hear that today? Oh, I definitely know that the world needs to hear that. Because you see, there's some folks that believe that their sin can't be forgiven. There's only un one unforgivable sin. What is it, church? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's attributing works to Beelzebub that Jesus did. It's the only thing you can't be forgiven for. Now, how about that? I think the world needs to hear that. And I think as Christian people, you and I, like Randy Maddox has said, that we're responsible for God's grace to share it in a broken and fallen world. What are you searching for? What are you searching for today in your life? Are you searching for the Christ child? Are you searching for more money, bigger things? Are we searching for the least, the last, and the lost? Do we have a heart for people that don't know Jesus Christ? I don't know about you. I don't want to be this dead sect that Wesley talked about. Do y'all? I don't want to be that. I want to be a church that believes in the Word of God, that allows the Holy Spirit to lead for us to be obedient to what God has called each and every one of us to be. For each one of us to trust the Holy Spirit enough that he'll take us beyond anything that we ever thought that we could accomplish for his purposes, not ours, for his purposes. Jesus says, pray for what you will. And I ask you this morning, what are you searching for? Happy New Year. Thanks be to God. Amen.